Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. Uh, I am Ryan Baser. Your host as always, and today is episode 21. Excited to have on the show today, Matt Abel, one of the uh, godfathers of Michigan cannabis <laughs> and in the country. Matt, thank you for being on the show, man. Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Good to see you. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. And today we got uh, a little change of pace. Uh, my three co-hosts, uh, Tom Beller at Real Leaf. Tom, I love the new background. Thank you, Ryan. Tom, uh, and then uh, Kevin uh, Pibus over at True Cannabis. Kevin, how you doing? Doing good, buddy. Hanging in there. How you doing? Good, good. And special co-host today, Josh Hovey over at Martin Wehmeyer, who is also, of course, Prop 1 a spokesman. spokesman and uh, um, we're going to get in a little bit of cannabis legalization uh, anniversaries today as well. So, Josh, thanks for being on today. Hey, it's good to be back. All right. All right. So... Uh, I wanted to give uh, Matt a little introduction, kind of uh, how I remember meeting Matt and, and my kind of take on Matt's history. He can correct me and, uh, you know, all that afterwards. But um, I uh, first met, met Matt uh, back in 2010, early on, uh, through Rick Ferris, Big Daddy, over at Oak Park. And uh, I became one of the first members of Cannabis Patients United. And... Uh, a group of uh, marijuana lawyers, activists, and business owners, and uh, we started lobbying the state and uh, got involved with Matt uh, that early on. And then also with uh, Michigan Association of Compassion Centers, you know, we always use Matt as a, an expert lawyer uh, and, and kept it going. Matt was at all the protests we were at. Uh, uh, he's been doing this a long, long time before that, and, I, and that's what I'm going to ask him about. Um, but I, I still remember this This week's had a lot of nostalgia for me. Uh, it's one year since uh, we did the, the first buy of legalization in, uh, for, for Michigan. And I was able to uh, purchase those joints and gift them to John Sinclair. And that's a year a year later. So that's exciting for me. A great honor. I still have them. I have not smoked them. Um, he gifted me some back. And then uh, this week also was the 10-year anniversary to the day by the the National Guard and uh, the DEA and the state police and Okemos for uh, for a state legal grow and uh, made me think about how far we've come but uh, I got on the news the next day and then I uh, was yelling to the, the rooftops about it and the following day I get a call from Matt and he tells me to sh- Ryan what are you doing shut the F up and I was uh, I was so naive uh, back then and I just couldn't believe it uh, but Matt had already been around long enough and was uh, trying to teach me some lessons that I that I know now so I was thinking about that uh, before we had you on Matt uh, remember that and thank you. In 2012, Matt was leading the charge for the first legalization effort repeal today. Uh, today. And then uh, again in 2016, uh, MI Legalized, original board member pushing hard on that. And then of course with Prop 1, MI Legalized component, Matt is one of the main authors of the law and uh, um, has been there every step of the way, even before that as well. Um, well-known business attorney, cannabis counsel, 
um, is famous in Detroit. Uh, I was down in uh, Detroit in, uh, on Friday with Jamie Lowell and John Sinclair, and John was talking about how proud he was of you when you, you made that switch and went for it. So love to hear about that in a little bit. And then the other thing is, is I'm I'm in Lansing, and then I'm in uh, I rent a room and office in Covert Law, and you know Josh is always talking about you're one of his his idols, and <laughs> and he's down to you heavy. You really try to be uh, the, the the cannabis council of Lansing over here where we're at. So we're we're kind of copying you a little bit, and it's kind of the same culture. So so with that, uh, Matt, thanks for being on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, what you're doing and then I'd, I'd like to hear about uh, kind of some of your activism pre-2008 because um, it's fascinating. I, I don't know enough about it. I've been thinking a lot about people like you this week that were doing it before people like us. So thanks, Matt. Well, thank you, Ryan. Thanks a lot for having me on. And it's always good to see Josh uh, and get to know him during the MI Legalized campaign and, and uh, Kevin and Tom, good to meet you guy well I, we've met but good to see you again and work with you here uh, boy there's so many things i don't know where to start I, I hadn't even remembered that phone call to you back after you got busted so that brings back some memories too um i it's funny because you know i really enjoy being a marijuana lawyer it's different every day i'm i've as i was joking before we came on i have kind of a short attention span so I, I always like change and different stuff. And um, with cannabis law, it's, it evolves. And um, it's been a really interesting trajectory. Um, for me, after my son, who's now 20, almost 26, uh, was born, um, I had taken some time off. And when I went back to work, I worked for Buck Davis and Cindy Heenan at Constitutional Litigation Associates, and they're awesome. They do mostly Section 1983 federal suits against the cops for beating people up. And uh, we're still really good friends to this day, and they're how I got involved with the National Lawyers Guild, which is a lefty lawyers organization and, and really um, on top of it, defending the protesters, etc. cetera. Um, but, um, Buck and Cindy just said to me, you know, when I said the civil litigation at the time, suing the cops, it was such an uphill battle every day. Um, and it wasn't really for me. And they said, well, just stay here and do what you want to do. And at that point, um, I had done a lot of criminal defense, although I'd been in a general practice earlier with divorces and real estate, probate and civil litigation. Um, I could do whatever I wanted to do. And I was doing a lot of criminal defense and the, the other lawyers were uh, laughing at me when I had a card with the sativa and the indica leaf on it that you just couldn't be a marijuana lawyer. You know, there there wasn't enough work. And then, you know, a decade later, those people are saying I was a genius about it. And neither one, really. I just was able, I had the luxury to be able to follow my heart and to spend some uncompensated time on um on activist work, and and I still am and do, and uh, but I do a lot of you know retained work as well, and I'm lucky enough to have been able to build the practice. So I was a solo marijuana lawyer out there in the wilderness for years back in the day when Dr. Witty and Mike Segesta and Dan Solano and uh, Cindy Heenan were we had a drug policy forum in Detroit that met at their law firm, but. Um, after that, it, uh, when the medical marijuana law passed, well, I worked with Greg Schmidt 
and the PRA 2000 back then. I, I have a, a PRA t-shirt um, from back then and just circulated petitions. And um, Greg's a dear friend now. Um, and then, you know, worked on legalization efforts several more times. But when the, and I circulated petitions for the medical marijuana law in 2008, I didn't have anything to do with the drafting. And that's one of the things I complained to Marijuana Policy Project so much and so long about some of the really simple corrections that could have been made to the MMMA way back then that I think that's why they allowed me to be on the drafting committee with 20 or so other people. They just wanted to shut me up. They were tired of hearing it. And I mean, one of one of my biggest beefs, there's still language in the MMMA that says a person, a patient can grow outdoors um, and that an outdoor grow is considered an enclosed lock facility if it's enclosed on all sides but the base by chain link wood slats or a similar material. Enclosed on all sides by chain link wood slats or a similar material. That whole phrase right there just doesn't, so, and it's never been clarified. You, people still don't know whether you need a roof if you're growing outdoors. So never ends, you know? Um, I'm so glad we had the, the MMMA. Then we got the, the legislature finally passed the Facilities Licensing Act for all its imperfections. And, and then they didn't expect that we were gonna have legalization coming along, along quite so soon. Um, I think because they, they wrote it that the tax went away after adult use passed. So <laughs> that's why there hadn't been much tax money yet. So. Uh, that's, I appreciate that, that Matt. And uh, that's uh, one of the reasons we want to do, we like doing this show too, is to kind of record some of the history and make sure everyone remembers it. And uh, I'm just really getting fascinated about the, the priest stuff and uh you know like what big news you are uh, mr detroit marijuana so the, the new ordinance is passed and um it's it's happening can you uh fill us in on that ordinance what it's kind of about when do you think it's going to be actually active and we'll have wreck in detroit well, the ordinance is fairly unique. It was passed by the city council, I lose either last week or the week before. Um, it takes effect on January 11th, which is the second Monday of January. Um, and But all that happens in the beginning is that legacy applicants can be certified as such. And those are people who have basically lived in Detroit for 15 years. There are a few permutations of it, but um, the so half of the licenses are going to go to legacy applicants. And um, so the, they'll allow people to be certified as legacy applicants in uh, January and February. And then um, they open up licensing applications um, March 1st. So, um, like 60 sorry, days, uh, right? No, I'm sorry. The city will begin accepting, I'm still fresh to me, city will begin accepting applications for adult use marijuana licenses on April 1 and shall review uh, the license applications submitted by April 30th within the time period set forth. So that's the, um, the April 1 to April 30th is the time where uh, people can file um, applications who... Um, are legacy or who have current um, grows or sorry, current facilities of any type uh, going. And then 
Um, in June, there's a special, June and July, a uh, special reserved review period where the city will review the applications for adult use from holders of uh, licenses from medical marijuana facilities. So they're going to basically give the legacy the first shot, the med current medical mi medical marijuana licensees the second shot, and uh, finally, if there's space available after that, people who are not in either of those two categories. So it's going to be tough. There are going to be 75 dispensaries, which they're already are allowed that number under medical. There's going to be 75. Um, uh, 35 micro businesses and 35 consumption lounges is what it is. Um, so again, all of those are going to be one to one, one legacy to one non-legacy. So let's play this through. There's, they say about 46 dispensaries licensed in the city. Might be a couple more by now. Say there are 50 dispensaries licensed in the city of the 75 that are going to be licensed because we know there certainly are some in the pipeline that'll uh, complete it in the next few weeks. So all 50 of those, well, and of them, perhaps the city said they think four are owned by Detroiters. So let's say even five of them are legacies. So that makes uh, 45 that are not legacies. So when they start issuing licenses, they're going to issue one legacy and one to this group of 45 who's a non-legacy. Well, when you hit 37, 38 is, is the 75th one as you pair them. And so anybody, they say they're going to do, once you submit your application, they're going to do a random draw for the order in which they're reviewed. And so if you're above number 37, they say, well, you'll just have to partner with a legacy applicant to do that, which means you'd be forced to sell a majority stake in your business to somebody you might not even know. But regardless, I mean, business businesses, you know, personal relationships aren't always an issue, but still, um, you know, be required to sell. And so I would imagine there might be some litigation over this, but talking about litigation over it and stop me if I'm running on too long. There is this crazy section. It's on page 17. It says, let me just read this sentence. The city council is exercising discretion to permit adult use establishments as supported by the legal opinion of the court council that the ordinance is lawful and on the condition that the applicant, the legacy applicants be prioritized in accordance with the legislative purpose of this ordinance. And here, should any provision of this ordinance governing adult use marijuana establishments be ruled invalid, unconstitutional, or struck down by a court of law, subsection B, which licenses all of it, will, will be there to repeal and future adult use marijuana establishments will be prohibited excluding those previously licensed, which shall continue in effect until their expiration date, after which time they will not be renewed. So if any provision of this gets struck down, the whole thing, they're not gonna do any licenses. So if you own a company in Ferndale, you might wanna sue just to make sure the Detroit thing doesn't happen. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of <laughs> silly. 
I'm not sure that that provision uh, is constitutional. I think it may well be against public policy to put that kind of a, um, what are they called, a a poison pill (laughs) in there. Yeah, basically just says, sue us and and we'll blow the whole thing up. So, yeah, it's kind of, kind of. And it will affect everyone. And I don't think that's, you know, and and there's a place in the ordinance, they need to make a correction. Um, There's a section that includes the growers as the 50-50 licensees with the um, legacy applicants. But then in the next section, it required everything but growers. So it's a little contradictory. I think they just left it out. But even for growers, there's going to be one legacy. And is that a a 100 plant grow and then one other 2000 plant grow? Or are they, you know, 100 to 100? It's not clear that way. but still, uh, and with no limit on the number of grows, I don't know why they would require them to be paired with legacies. Um, no limit on uh, grows or processors um, or transporters or labs, of course. Hey, man, oh, this- I know what it was. The, uh, so 25, sorry, 75 provisioning centers, medical 75 provisioning centers, or adult use retail stores. So those are going to be the same places. Hey, Matt, this is Kevin Pibus over at True Cannabis. Um, we haven't had a chance to meet, but uh, you're one of the guys that I've heard about for years and years uh, about litigating uh, cannabis cases in Michigan. I've talked to so many people over the years that have told me, oh, yeah, yeah, I went and saw Matt Abel and he did this or he did that. And it was always good news. It was always you had you had got them out of something, which was which I always thought was impressive. But, um, you know, when we're talking about these bills, you've you've read a ton of them. I've read a ton of them as we worked through writing legislation and writing these ordinances and helping out municipalities get their stuff in order. Um, how do you feel about the situation where uh, language is written incredibly vague uh, in a lot of cases, and then it's just left up t- for interpretation. And then in, in a lot of cases, the interpreter is sometimes the police officers, right? You know, with the lockbox situation, with the top on uh, an outdoor grow, um, these things have been misinterpreted and enforced by state police officers, uh, county sheriffs, um, and, 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 and it doesn't ever get addressed until somebody gets charged and is put into a situation where they have to defend themselves and then it gets litigated in court and then it's found that these things aren't legal um how do you feel about that process and 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 how do we ever get to a point where we're able to somehow rectify that or put it in a in a a way that that it's not so detrimental to someone an individual to figure out what they wanted to say in a bill you know what i mean right no i agree with you that um words have meaning and the Michigan legislature defined marijuana as cannabis sativa L and I spent a decade getting people better deals because I would argue the prosecutor had to prove that it was sativa it's not good enough if it turns purple on a roadside uh, PB you know whatever uh, a test because um, they said it you know if they meant to make it all marijuana why did they further define it or I can't think of the word right now, um, but restrict it by using the word sativa. 
Um, they could have just said cannabis is uh, marijuana is defined as cannabis, period. But when they said cannabis sativa, that implies that if it's not cannabis sativa, but it's cannabis indica or cannabis ruderalis, if there is such a thing. Um, and granted that the they're saying that that doesn't really that those are fake dichotomies. I mean, they might actually be different genus or of the same species um, or something like that. But, um, and talking about that, there's the, the U.S. hired a couple of Canadians to write this study about 20 years ago saying that it's all sativa. And that's the only study I've ever read that said it. It was government funded bullshit that let the cops argue that this is all sativa instead of making the legislature go back and change the law a judge and i was arguing in front of in detroit told me once he's like you know mr abel if you ever win this argument the legislature is just going to change the law and i'm like yeah and they should you know i mean i didn't write it's not this. about being vague it's about people knowing what the law is if i don't know the law then how can i be guilty of committing a crime that i didn't know the law you know what i mean yeah. that's it's right i agree you know. And, and there's language in the medical marijuana law that says it's to be interpreted in the best interest to the patients and all that. But but that's you never get a court to cite that or rely on that for anything. I mean, you just need compassionate judges who understand this stuff. And, and there are some, but I'd say, you know, not half. Um, but generationally, as more and more people, I mean, some of the older people are still, and I'm an old guy now, I have gray beard and everything, but, you know, some of the people of generation one and two up from me uh, still believe that it's reefer madness. And although medical marijuana and now legalization have really changed that a lot, because now that grandma can get a cookie and she can sleep, and now that she can buy it in a store and she knows that it's five milligrams or 10 milligrams, I think is really an excellent thing because um, I overdosed myself on edibles so many times I'd stop doing them. <laughs> Me too. But now uh -huh. that I can buy, you know, five milligram and titrate it and take one one day and two the next day and see how it happens, you know, um, it's all good. Yesterday I took 20 milligrams and I was happy, you know, but... <laughs> 10 in the morning 10 in the afternoon and all good that's what you get it's different though you know because i like to you know have a couple puffs at night right as kind of a nightcap but you can't do that with edibles you'll be up all night so you kind of have to be a day drinker if you're gonna be doing edibles you know what i mean i don't know i think our endocannabinoid <laughs> systems are different i take an edible i'm out cold but uh you just reminded me, uh, Matt, like uh, I used to always hear growing up, ignorance of the law is no excuse. I was always told that. And then once the Medical Marijuana Act passed and cops were out busting people and hadn't even read the law, uh, our criminal justice system said it was all right. Ignorance of the law is OK for cops, but not for citizens. And that just drove me nuts. Absolutely. I mean, partly it's on us to change the law, too. I mean, shame on me for not writing my legislator and saying, you know, this is a serious problem. This phrase needs to be changed. But I don't want to open up the me the medical marijuana law. I don't want to open up the, you know, it's concerning because that's where the caregiver protections are as well. And, um, you know, once you open up the medical marijuana law, there could be unintended consequences. So as much as I'd like to change the outdoor growing, and so people ask me, does it need a roof? And I 
tell them I don't know. If it was me, I'd put chicken wire over it, you know, just to keep the rabbits out or whatever. But um, who oh, knows? Of- and the crazy thing, when they wrote it in the first place, to say um, chain link or wood slats or a similar material, well, those two aren't similar to each other in the first place. So what the hell is similar to chain link and wood slats? <laughs> no, as we were talking about the, uh, you know, the anniversary of going wreck in Michigan and Detroit going wreck. Um, you know, but I want to I have a question about that. But first, I want to kind of tag team what Kevin was saying about, you know, your, um, you know, the legend of Matt Abel. I, I have a quick story I just want to share with everyone. I think one of the first times I was hanging out with Matt, we're at the Cannabis Cup in Clio. And, uh, you know, I think he and I were on a panel there and, and giving a little talk. But then afterwards, we're walking around all the booths. And I would say probably every other booth we went to, someone was coming up to Matt and thanking them for saving their ass. And they would give him a handful of free joints or whatever <laughs> product they had. And, you know, this guy walked away not spending a dime and had like these. <laughs> And, you know, that's, so that's uh, the legend of Matt Abel right there. I just want to share. Thanks, Josh. My question for Matt, you know, what, um, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything about either the 2018 law or, you know, we talked about the the medical law, let's focus on 2018. Um, If you could change anything about the RAC law without having to screw up the rest or worry about it getting opened up and um and tinkered with too much what would you fix as one of the authors of of this legislation Hmm. well first of all it's uh, it applies to people 21 and over i started smoking when i was 15 and i have four college degrees and i'm an eagle scout so you know i'd be amazing what i could have done without it you know um but uh, (laughs) so perhaps to lowering the age you know i mean just making it more available, making it less of a, a criminal thing. Um, I I think there needs to be more opportunity for small businesses. Certainly, I'm concerned about the. And that's my dog telling me it's hold on that the multi-state operators. Um, Sasha, a couple of minutes, and I'll take you out. I promise. So um, the multi-state operators are going to accumulate a lot of the. Um, smaller, especially growers and dispensaries. So there's that. Um, I'd like to see, well, I'd like to see more municipalities do it. I'd like to see any municipality really embrace it in a in a way with some really good city planning. Um, one of the things that aggravates me about the Detroit ordinance, it says you can't have more than one licensed business. Um, in you know not more than one retail store at least in the same building and um 420 here now kids just saying oh. <laughs> um and, but um let's see i think i would take out the secure transporters i think that's um redundant as i argued at the time because you've already got uh seed to sale tracking and uh, the growers could have done their own transporting. They just would, and maybe they would want to hire it out anyway. Um, when we were in the discussions, uh, somebody argued to me that 
you know, it was going to be so efficient and effective that the growers and processors and retailers were all going to want to use the secure transporters. That and was, I said, I said, great, make it voluntary. That was you know? the Beer and Wine Distributors Association trying to get their hands on this industry. It got axed at the last minute because the Beer and Wine Distributors Association are federally licensed. And had <laughs> they actually got a marijuana license, it would have jeopardized their federal license. When they found that out, they bailed. The transporter stayed in, but that's why it happened, if anybody wants to know. Okay. Yeah, the whole transporter situation, that it's your, um, as a grower, the person or processor, that's the person that you're sending to uh, represent your company. And a lot of the time, you don't get to choose who that person is. That's the face of your company delivering your product. And, uh, you know, that's, that's an un unfortunate thing. You know, as a small business owner, I want to go you know in person and be have the option to do that you know to be the the face and say here and here's some samples and but we can't do that and it doesn't fall in line with how other states are handling the transport situation either but i mean yeah make it voluntary but you know right have an option for us if we want to buy a vehicle and you know bond it gps and do all the same things that transporters have to do you should be allowed to you have to meet that requirement, absolutely. And maybe the restriction that growing um, licenses only be granted in agricultural or industrial areas, the cities can decide that. If they have some vacant commercial areas, maybe that ought to be allowed as well. Um, so, and then there are parts of it like the, the opt out where a city's automatically opted in unless they opt out. And that's just kind of not being honored. Um, uh, Director Brisbo addressed that this morning and indicated that, I mean, the clerk has to fill out some kind of form. And so the form, if they don't have an ordinance, says that this facility is not in violation of any city ordinances. Not that it's allowed by ordinance, but it's not prohibited. And you might sometimes have to sue to get the clerk to sign the damn form if the clerk personally doesn't like it or um, those are th so there's that um, I'm sure I could probably think of some other stuff but um, on the whole it's really nice to be able to walk into a, a clean licensed store and buy a tested product um, I still like a lot of bud but trying to protect my lungs a little so now that we've got um, gummies that are five and ten minutes milligrams uh, but still it's you have to plan your day a little better you know? <laughs> uh, i was wondering how um if you had any kind of insight um you know that the state's kind of playing with the idea of merging the two uh the two bills together into uh we've i've seen it it seems to be uh there's there's some questions that i have personally but i wanted to get your your take on that well, I, I always, you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat. I'm always pretty straight up about it. I'll try to be diplomatic. Uh, the director said that he came up with this uh, idea in order to make his life easier for all practical purposes, right? I mean, that's their running theory that they're trying to combine these so there's only one license and it should just be smoother administratively which is not 
the end all and be all. I mean, maybe it would make things smoother administratively, but you know, anyway, uh, other people have a theory that the the large growers really did this in order to um, be able to sell their more of their medical product into the recreational market. Um, sorry, I got dog howling at me here, but um, and and that may be true. I. I'm not in a hurry to combine them. I've seen, I've seen draft eight, and um, it uh, it still has some issues with the uh, combining the uh, the medical and the recreational. Excuse me a moment. <laughs> Matt's dog says it's 4:20, and what's going on? Why aren't you uh, taking care of business? Got turtle head. Well, let's, let's talk about that amongst ourselves for a second. I mean, Kevin and, and Tom, what are you guys feeling about that idea right now? Yeah, you know, I, from the the whole premise thing, I have a I have a major problem with it. I don't even want to really look at the 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 ingredients of the bill at this point. I'm just about the whole premise right right now. I can't get past that. For me, um, I'm a small business owner. Um, I've tried to play things the right way. Um, I don't know. Uh, that I've always done things the right way in as far as business wise, but you know, I, I did a lot of investing to get to where I'm at and and all the way they've changed the rules continuously over over and over and so the first was allowing caregiver product into the license system, you know, I've got friends of mine that have made a ton of money bringing licensed product into the system and never paid a diamond licensing fees, none of that stuff, where I've had to participate, I've had to pay, at least I should get back my fee for paying for the first year while they allowed caregiver product to come through. Um, but but the, the bottom line is, is that, uh, I, I don't want any more changes. This, this isn't meant to be merged yet. Um, the reason that they want to merge it is because they are getting pressure from the big growers. Uh, the big growers are having problems right now. They're in a cash pinch. Their way hasn't gone exactly as planned. And the best way for them to be able to get a hold on this market is to run the small guy out. So we've seen it in other states. There's a race to the bottom as far as money goes. And when, when prices get down to $1,800 a wholesale pound, the people that benefit the most are the people that are growing the most. The small guy can't survive in a world like that. And I don't want to race to get to that, that, that line, right? That's the first thing. And then the second thing, when we do talk about a little bit about the meat and potatoes of the bill, when I got into it, I saw this area where they relieved the state police from any responsibility uh, as far as having kind of any, um, you know, responsibilities or, or defined duties. And then what they did was then they opened up this language where it says they can then assist the uh, the MRA in, for, in enforcement. And then it doesn't uh, have a, a cap on how much money they can they can spend in their in their assisting you know whether it's buying you know armored tanks or whatever they're gonna they're gonna do you know or spending money on more cameras or whatever it is uh i don't really want to have to pay for it out of my licensing fee and so what we've seen so far was we've seen a, a, a drastic dip here recently in the licensing fee we're down to twenty one thousand dollars i think for a class c grow in a, in a dispensary and i think that if we change that bill 
and we and we open that up to where there's an open end for the state police, we're going to see huge, huge licensing fee increases. And, and it's going to become one of those things like uh, we have in a lot of cities where, well, we get so much money, we've got to spend it or else we won't get it again next year. I don't want to play that with my licensing fee. We're set where we are. Let's just continue the path forward. There's extra money. Let's give it back to the people. Like that's, my, that's my take. Yeah, I feel that uh, another problem is is you're opening up an act, right? That was voted on by the people. And just by changing a few words here and there, you can make it no longer an act. <laughs> right. And uh, not just that, but if it was really about making it easy, there's a few small changes in metric. You can have the state require metric to make, which is the seed to sale tracking. If you don't know what metric is, um, that would allow uh, businesses to essentially operate as if the they were uh, as the two acts were combined using the lowest common denominator of each act that it's already written that way anyway they right. when they rewrote it they essentially said you got to go by the lowest common denominator but if you could allow transfer of flour uh, products or processed goods in between your medical or your recreational um, license and you could you just do that through a few small changes in metric there's no need to go through and rewrite everything i would agree tom 100 percent. speaking on that on uh, what, what you had to say kevin on the police issue and the the, the grow the big growers uh, uh cash crunched um it's a little rumor I, I i take it as credible there was a another rate there's a raid in ingham county not signed by a local prosecutor it was the marijuana enforcement division caregiver grow they got there halfway through they got the cards to prove it was legal and they still took all the plants um just happened is what i heard so yeah. that's that's interesting but then also um you know you talk about the race to the bottom and these guys hurting like you know a, a month ago when the market turned upside down we saw those big growers go from 3,504 grand a pound to two grand overnight with, and they had to liquidate because uh, the, the the good growers and the people planned ahead that I know sat on it and they expected it. But if you you need to cut your prices in half overnight, uh, you're probably in a cash crunch. So I, I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, I had heard Ryan a little bit about that that rate as well, and it was my understanding that it was a um, uh, an issue with labeling cards or something on the door of your grow room as their excuse as to why they they, they took the plants. Uh, but but that that to me is again an interpretation of the law. Uh, Matt, you, you might have some in, input on that. Um, is it re is it required to have labels no. on each door? Is it required yeah, to have bullshit. labels on it's plants? Never, you, you know, it's a decade ago shit. Yeah. I mean, so. it it may or may not be a good idea, but it's never been required. And there's no i mean and so that's allowed some people to get away with i mean i've had people tell me they have two or more gardens and you know on the same cards and that's not legal but because you're not required to post the cards um, it makes it easier that way i tell people you know you're not required to post the cards but if i if i had a medical garden i would put the cards i would enlarge the front of them Put them up on the inside of the garden so that if and when the cops break down the door they can't later say they didn't know that it was a medical garden um, i don't want to show on the outside i wouldn't want anybody to know there's a garden if they're in my basement or whatever it is 
Well, I, you know, I used to take it a step further, Matt, and that was, I would also label the plants and I would put an actual plant tag on my plants with the patient's name and number on it. And listen, like you said, you know what? It's not one of those things that's required, but you know, when somebody comes into your garden and they see that like, okay, this guy's actually kind of taking it seriously, you know, maybe that changes their opinion of the whole situation. You never know. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on that one. Yeah, my friend Search Warrant Steve did that. And when he got raided in Oak Park, uh, year, you know, a decade ago, he had a loose leaf folder that color coded with copies of everybody's stuff, you know, and, and showed them this goes to the, he educated the cops and they went away. Well, you know, fun, funny story about that, um, you know, uh, this goes back to my days of, of partying and, and, and fresh out of college. But, you know, um, we would we would give out zip ties to people that we checked their ID and they were 21. People that we checked their ID and they weren't 21, they didn't get a zip tie. They still got a cup and they still got to drink from the keg. But when the police came and they did, we said, no, no, look, we've checked everybody with an ID and they've got a zip tie. If they don't have a zip tie, they're not supposed to be drinking and you can arrest their ass. And the cops were like, oh my God, these guys really do have their shit together. And they just left. So, you know, tricks of the trade. Good thing Don Bailey's not watching. Uh, right. <laughs> no, uh, well, man, we could uh, could talk to Matt like all, all day about marijuana and the history and what's going on, but uh, uh, we are running a little bit long, so I just wanted to give everyone a chance to uh, any final thoughts, say goodbye to Matt, and then uh, let Matt uh, send us off as well. So, Josh, uh, any final thoughts today? That's the, co the special co-host. You know, it's just been good to see you and talk to you again, Matt. And thanks, as always, for your wisdom and guidance. Uh, I'm sure there'll be issues coming up in the next year about merging the licenses, and there'll be a lot more to talk about. So looking forward to doing it again cool right on good to see you josh for sure tom beller at relief hey matt just wanted to thank you again for everything that you've done and continue to do a true cannabis crusader you know see you out there thank you tom appreciate it kevin over at uh, true cannabis yeah, Matt, you know, I, again, I know we haven't really met, but um, I've heard about you for a lot of years. I think you're doing a lot of great work. I appreciate everything that you're doing. You've paved the way for so many people. And uh, I look forward to meeting you. I appreciate having you on the show today. And uh, stay safe out there. Okay, buddy? Great meeting you, Kevin. And thanks for your thoughts about uh, legislation and how we need to keep up on that stuff. And yeah. Not, not ignore this. It's not going away. If we don't right. stay on top of this, they're going to change some shit and it's going to make it bad for everybody. So absolutely. Yeah, so definitely right on that one. Yep. No problem. Thank you. Matt, any uh, words of wisdom for, uh, for the marijuana world out there? Well, December 6th is Sunday. It'll be two years since legalization. I'm sorry. We can't have our annual party at cannabis council. Um, and uh, those have been some of the some of the greatest uh, in in my memory. And so uh, thank you for being on the sh for having me on the show. I, I'm really excited that maybe internationally the UN is moving forward that maybe Congress will we can give them a kick in the butt. And um, at least we'll know how everybody votes on this thing. And we can hold their feet to the fire. Next time there's congressional races in Michigan and in uh, two years with new districts so we'll see i'm very hopeful and uh there's still a lot of work to do so thank you 
once again, Matt, thanks for being on the show. And, uh, you know, we always talk about uh, us guys, the the 08ers, I guess we're called, the people that came in above (laughs) after 08 and and got going. And we talk about the new guys not knowing any what our history. And what about us knowing the the real history before that, the decades, you know, it started with uh, John Sinclair and and moved on to to all the other people like Matt and uh, you know that that's a lot. Uh, we got a lot of a lot of history to remember and record on that. So uh, it's great to have you on, Matt, and uh, everybody else. But with that, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Ryan. You're awesome. The Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at ryanb at redemptioncana.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.